And let's pray one more time. Pray with me. God, we all have an understanding, articulated or not, about what it means to follow you, what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a recipient of your grace, to have a relationship with you about the kingdom that your son came to usher in. Help us to sift through and sort out all of that this morning as we read from your word. Help us to be attentive to your spirit and to your way. Give us eyes that are good to see, hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that you would make my words clear if there's anything in them that's not consistent with your word. May they be uh, ignored, forgotten, completely disregarded. We pray with hope in Christ the Lord. Amen. And now listen closely as I read from 1 Corinthians, what we know is 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 9, beginning at verse 24. This is the word of God. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run as that person who is going to win the race runs with that sort of effort and intention. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Everyone. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air undeliberately. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And clearly in these verses, Paul uh, employs an athletic metaphor, a metaphor from the world of athletics which with, with which the people, the Christians, the church in Corinth would have been familiar. There was in Corinth something called the Isthmus Games. Corinth was on an Isthmus and they had their own games, uh, festival of athletics from which people came all, from all around every two years, not unlike the better known games in the neighboring Greek city of Olympia, from which came and from which we still have the Olympics. The Corinthians were familiar with big sporting events. They knew how hard an athlete, a competitor, had to work and train if they were going to enter these games. And so they would have been able to transfer such an understanding to the spiritual life or to following Jesus when Paul wrote, run in such a way in your pursuit of a crown that will last forever. Do not just flail your arms aimlessly. Do not live unintentionally. Instead, discipline yourself, discipline even your body. Make your body and your whole self subject to a training regimen that will qualify you for the prize, or in the case of discipleship or apprenticeship with Jesus, that will enable you to participate and realize the fruit and the rewards of a life immersed in the kingdom or the reality or the presence of God in Jesus, a kingdom of love. And this will require effort and intention and discipline. There is no way around that. It's true that the Apostle Paul, when his name was still Saul and he was uh, persecuting Christians, seeking to put them in prison, it's true that 
Paul, this same Paul, had his original Damascus Road experience on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus with the authority of the uh, religious rulers in Jerusalem going to Damascus to imprison Christians, followers of the way. Paul has this uh, experience on that road where he sees this bright light shining all around him. He falls down. There's no horse in that passage. He falls down. And he hears this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's the beginning of Paul's Damascus Road experience where his life is transformed. He can't see for the next three days. Everything is different in Paul's life from that moment forward. But it wasn't all about that momentary experience. We don't realize it, but Paul spends 13, 14, 15 years in relative seclusion after that event learning Jesus' way, listening to Jesus, practicing following him, living like Jesus lived, walking in Jesus' steps as best he could, as best he knew, quietly as he learned from the other disciples and apostles for the better part of 14 years. This was Paul's way. And this was good news for Paul as he practiced the kingdom that Jesus preached and began to preach that kingdom himself. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, he said, was available to each and every person. It is near, it's at hand, it is even within you, as Jesus said, as a person embraces it, welcomes it, lays hold of it. The New Testament speaks of growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, but how does this happen? How did that happen for Paul beyond his encounter with Jesus? That supernatural encounter on the road to Damascus. Some people, but not most people, begin their life with such a, their life in Christ with a Damascus road experience. But those people are fewer than the majority of us. For Paul, he pursued Jesus, he followed Jesus, he sought Jesus, and he wrote to the churches more than once, follow me as I seek to follow Jesus. Imitate me as I seek to imitate Jesus. He didn't just say, go have a Damascus Road experience, but follow me as I seek to follow Jesus. Imitate me as I seek to imitate Jesus. And what did this imitation of Christ look like? Jesus began his ministry with 40 days of fasting in the wilderness where he subjects his body to hardship, to temptation, to doing without. And we have every indication that not necessarily for 40 days in the wilderness, but Paul does the same thing over the course of years. He subjects himself, his body, his will, his heart, his mind, his daily living. Jesus fasted. Paul fasted. But we are inclined to think that's what Jesus did. I am not Jesus. Therefore, all of that doesn't apply to me. The apostle Paul did those things. He practiced that sort of life. But we think that was the apostle Paul. He was exemplary. He was unusual. He was unique. That was what worked. That was what Paul was called to. But that doesn't apply to me. And do we see the fallacy in that? We read what Jesus taught. We read in the Bible what Paul taught. 
but we do not embrace the sort of lives, the sort of living that they embraced, that they lived. And then we are surprised that our lives end up looking little like their lives looked. Do you follow that? We have not arranged our lives as Jesus arranged his life and as Paul imitating Jesus arranged his life. And so we do not get, for lack of a better word, the same results that they got. We do not have the same power that they seem to have. But this again should not be a surprise to us because we have not trained as even Jesus trained and certainly as Paul trained. We have not trained our minds, we have not trained our bodies as they trained their minds and bodies. And as Dallas Willard says, the only way to overcome this alienation from their sort of life is by entering into the actual practices of Jesus and Paul as something essential to our lives in Christ. Are you following this? Following but not gladly. Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, everyone who competes in the games, everyone goes into strict training. Similarly, I do not run like someone running aimlessly without intention. I do not fight like a boxer just swinging his arms aimlessly. Rather, Paul had a fairly strict regimen or program of training for his spirit and for his body. And Paul's regimen we see in his life included fasting and solitude and study and sacrifice and so on, practices and disciplines that are not part of the lives of many Christians. Because somewhere along the line, we've gotten the idea that doing what feels good, often with a Christian veneer, is God's plan and God's design for our lives. Just look around at one another's lives. Look around at our lives. Look around at the church. We think that a good life, a happy life, a comfortable life, somehow is a blessed life and God's design for each of us. But such could not be farther from the truth, at least according to Jesus and Paul. But just to show you what I mean, think about this. It's not the most common means of measuring the value or worth of a particular worship service how it makes one feel. In other words, how you feel when you exit the doors in 30 minutes. Will that not be the measure how you feel and if it's good about how this hour was together? There's nothing at all wrong with feeling good. I want to be clear about that. But feeling good in the moment is not what defines a path to either athletic development or to spiritual maturity. And certainly not to spiritual maturity in Christ. As evidence of such, the lives of John the Baptist and also Jesus were characterized by voluntary hardship, asceticism, fasting, prayer, solitude, and serving other people. Following their lead, the early Christians really did arrange their lives, if you read church history, very differently from their non-Christian neighbors, as well as from the vast majority of us who call ourselves Christians today. So the scriptures indicate. So church history in the first century in particular, but also the second and third century, while Christians were still the persecuted minority, reflect this. 
Like a high-level athlete, the Apostle Paul possessed rigorous discipline in the way that he lived on a daily basis, out of which came, and you see this if you look at the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures, out of which came this incredible power. Incredible power, not Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe power, but power of character, power of resolve, power to love, power to speak the truth, power to serve. Are we training spiritually? Do we understand what is required if we are to advance in the spiritual life? We have trained, many of us, for other things in our lives. Some of you have run half marathons. Some of you have run marathons. The preparation preparation for which took months, if not years, of disciplined and dedicated training. Some of you have trained for years for jobs that you now do well. Some of you have put in thousands of hours of meticulous training as musicians to develop your skills, to learn an instrument, to be able to play masterfully. Those things don't happen overnight. They don't happen instantaneously. They don't happen by showing up at concerts of great pianists. They don't happen by listening to great piano music on your MP3 player. Is that not true? If I was to go over to Stephen's keyboard (laughs) and launch into it, your ears would not be pleased because I have not trained for years and years and years as he has trained. If I was to put my finger on the keys and begin to play, That's all you'd get from me. (laughs) That's the best I can do. Because I haven't trained. Because I haven't spent the hours, the days, the months, the years disciplining myself toward that goal and that aim. It's the same way in the spiritual life. We are saved by grace through faith, absolutely. We're not talking here about salvation. We're talking about living into the kingdom to which Jesus calls us. We're talking about the abundance that Jesus described of life. By the way that they lived on a daily basis and by the way that they arranged their lives, the early Christians trained their spirits and became strong in spirit so that, for example, they were ready to lay down their lives when called upon for such. Are you and I ready for that? Paul's life was characterized by simplicity and sacrifice and devotion. He lived and practiced daily the things his Lord taught and practiced. He lived a life of abandonment. And it was his confidence in this path and in the power that derived from the rich union with Christ that created that enabled him to call others to do the same. His actions, his character, his motivations, and the astonishing world-changing power derived from his lowly lifestyle can only be understood by keeping this fact in mind. Paul followed Jesus by living as Jesus lived. And how did Paul do that? 
through activities and ways of living that would train his whole personality to depend upon the risen Christ as Christ trained himself depending on the Father. In other words, Paul and his Lord were people of immense power who saw clearly the wayward ways the world considered natural. With their feet planted in the deeper order of God, they lived lives of utter self-sacrifice and abandonment seen in such a life the highest possible attainment. And through that way of living, God gave them, quote from the letter to the Hebrews, the power of an indestructible life to accomplish the work of their appointed ministry and to raise them above the power of death. But few of us have any intention of such a life or training with such a goal. In the words of Dallas Willard, if a convert's habits remain the same, they will realize little of the life of Christ. We are content with being forgiven by God while remaining far from the actual kingdom of God. We are content with being forgiven by God while remaining far from the actual kingdom of God. We are content to be saved, in other words, saved from hell, but we remain largely as a church, the Western church, uninterested in the fullness of life to which Jesus calls and invites his followers because of the seeming cost of such in our daily lives, to our lifestyle, to our other wants and hopes. Much of the church, some would argue, do not believe, we are not convinced that disciplined training is essential or necessary for the Christian life. Some believe such may be useful. Others believe such may actually be harmful. In either case, we consciously or unconsciously realize that such a life or such training very well may be upsetting to those around us and especially to our fellow religious people who often have no intention of changing their lives in such a radical way. Paul, on the other hand, was a summa cum laude in the graduate school of self-denial, which you know John Calvin said was the sum of the Christian life. As we see this in Paul's words, which are easy to read over as we read through the New Testament. As we see in Paul's words about his own life and his own theological framework and that to which he calls readers when he talks about the ideas of spiritual death and life, crucifixion, putting on the old person, putting off the old person, putting on the new, union with Christ, mortification of the flesh, being buried and raised with Christ, submitting our bodily members as instruments of righteousness, submitting our bodies as living sacrifices, and so on. Paul goes on and on and on about such things because that's the way he lived. That's the way he followed Jesus. And yet so often we don't see or don't want to see such as a path to spiritual maturity for ourselves. We want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, but we don't necessarily want what becoming such a person entails. We want the results and the final condition, but we don't want to put in the practice. It's as if we want to be world-class soccer players or violinists or writers or runners, but we're not interested in the many hours of training 
that must take place to reach such a place. Paul, however, again, encouraged those who wanted to know Christ to go to the gym. Look around at someone next to you and say, go to the gym. Don't take it personally. Paul wrote this to Timothy, his son in the faith. Train yourself to be godly. This doesn't mean to be self-righteous, holier than thou, uh, a Puritan of some sort. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life, this life today, and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. And the Greek word Paul used when he encouraged Timothy to train himself is gymnase, from which we get the English word gymnasium. Train yourself. Many of you probably have some sort of gym membership, the PJCC or Gold's Gym or Crunch or the YMCA. Many of you have a physical training program. Some of you need a physical training program. (laughs) You have a personal trainer. You ride your bike every day. You very intentionally go for a walk every day at the recommendation maybe of your doctor which pleases both you and your doctor, but you do you also have a plan for the training of your spirit, for the training in godliness, for learning self-denial? Do you have a plan for how to strengthen your spirit to grow in character and in love or devotion to Jesus? Do you have a plan for becoming like Christ? A man and his wife heard into a dentist's office in a panic. The man, slightly out of breath, said to the dentist, Doctor, I'm from 50 miles down the road from a small town. I'm in one heck of a hurry. Two buddies of mine are sitting in the car waiting for us to go play golf, so forget about the anesthetic. I don't have time for the gums to get numb. Please just pull the tooth. We've got a 10 a.m. tea time at the best golf course in the entire state right here in your city. It's 9.30 right now. I don't have time for the anesthetic to work. Please pull the tooth. The dentist thought to himself, Finally, a tough golfer. It's nice to see for a change. And the dentist turns to the man and says, which tooth is it? The man turns to his wife and says, honey, show him which tooth it is. (laughs) The point is, it's remarkable how devoted some of us are to our sports, to our hobbies, to our activities, to the things that give us pleasure of different sorts, but that do not train us in righteousness or godliness or in the things of the kingdom of God. Admittedly, the church has been lacking in calling people to such and in helping people train for a life in the kingdom of love, a life that reflects the life of Jesus, a life that is full of the aroma of Christ, which Jesus called abundant, though again, not abundant with material possessions or wealth or fame or entertaining experiences, but with an abundance of strength of character and sacrificial love and overflowing with abundant joy and peace and hope. The church has been content to call people to an hour of worship and modest giving 
and maybe to learn one's way around the Bible a bit. But our stated mission is to honor God by helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus, and that begins with ourselves. And it won't happen overnight. It won't happen in an instant. If I went to the gym, some gym, a gym this afternoon, and tried to bench press 200 pounds, as you can tell, it's not going to happen. Because I haven't trained for that. It could happen a year or two from now if I trained regularly for that. We as a church are in the process of renewing our commitment to that to which God, including through the Apostle Paul, is calling us to a life that is characterized by joyful discipline and characterized by practices that draw us to God and that shape us actively into the likeness of Jesus that we might become more fully devoted to him and in him. I'm excited that you're going to be hearing more about this in the coming weeks and months. And I hope that you will begin now to reflect on your own life and the ways that you do and maybe do not train and ask God to help you to begin to train in such a way that you will experience more and more of God's kingdom that he, has been, that he has made available to us in Christ the Lord and that you will be more and more available to God and the things that he would do through you. As the words on the cover of our bulletin say this morning, only God can transform a life. Only by God's supernatural grace, just to be super clear, only by God's grace can a life be authentically changed from the inside out. But God, in God's free will, never chooses to do that alone. It's a joint effort. Transformation, the miracle of life change, is a joint effort. It's completely and fully by God's grace, but we have a part. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for Paul's words. Thank you for your grace in his life and the ways that you shaped him and gave him the resources and the resolve to seek you, to train, to be disciplined, to embrace a regimen of self-denial by which and through which you used him and were able to use him. And he experienced one of the most unique lives that has ever been lived in history. Teach us, draw us to yourself, help us, forgive us when we won't, don't want to go to the gym and would rather do anything and everything else. Draw us to yourself, empower us for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen.